following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. All the data is in on 2023. For those who have been looking back on that year, it's kind of even weird to say that we're still in, we're in, we're in 2024. It's, have, you, have you written things down and accidentally wrote the three instead of the four? I know I've done that a couple times. We're, we're in 2024. So all the data is in for, for those who have been assessing things from that past year. It was a couple weeks ago that I shared the word of this past year that was authentic, the, the searching for things that are real as opposed to all the things that are not. And then that didn't come as a surprise to you then, nor is this new trend gonna surprise you either. It's not new. It's not new. I was reading some articles from sociologists who were riffing on what they think people are gonna continue to look for and search for in 2024. And no surprise, what do you think that might be? Whether it's because people more and more are disconnected on account of the ongoing effects of COVID, because when we were all disconnected, now people then became reconnected, but it wasn't all the same as it was before, not like it was perfect before that happened anyways. Whether it's on account of just technology and the internet and social media as a whole, where people try to have some semblance of connection, but they don't really have it, maybe the way that they're looking for, it's connection. As these sociologists were writing, they were coming up with all of these reasons and factors, and they were even identifying things that go on in society, in America as a whole, that cause us to be searching for connection in all sorts of ways, but, but we don't necessarily find it as a whole. Would you agree? I tend to agree, and this is also going to shock you. As a pastor, I think that's also a spiritual problem. <gasps> Sure, there's things like emotional connection that you have with your spouse, a significant other that you're dating, even an emotional connection with family members and friends. There's a familial connection, which is slightly different. Those people that are our relatives, our parents, cousins. There's also the connection that we have with our coworkers, whether that's good or bad, maybe a combination. There's all sorts of connections that we have with our neighbor, maybe the neighbor who walks out and then we kind of want to walk back inside. But then there's a neighbor who walks out and then you wanna go out there and you wanna talk with your neighbor. There's all sorts of connections that we have and there's, there's certain connections, of course, that we're made to have. I mean, you look back at things like COVID and we're even tired talking about it, but it's necessary to say that we realize that when you don't talk to people for a while, did you know that that has an effect on your psyche and on your brain? Yeah. Did you know that you are made to also have types of connection that a screen can't cover? That when you interact with a person face to face, there's nothing like that in all the world. And that's also then just a little snippet of a glimpse of a bigger issue that we have, a bigger need that we have, we'll call it, of course, a spiritual connection. The, the questions and the nagging issues that we have where we try to find our significance, the, the questions, the nagging issues that we have where we wonder what's, what's going to matter for us in, in the life to come and where we even stand before God, all of that rests on our understanding of spiritual needs and spiritual connection. And today, God takes us to no better place to point us to the fact that we have a spiritual connection and we don't need to go searching for something better because God in his grace has already given it to us. 
So are you searching for it at least a little bit? Want to better understand it at least a little bit? Well, God has given that to you. Go ahead and have that reading open from Romans chapter 6, the New Testament reading I shared with you earlier. To help set the stage for Romans 6, we'll first, of course, take a, a, a quick glance at Mark chapter 1, Jesus' baptism. As Jesus got down into those waters in the River Jordan, he was getting baptized, not because he needed his sins washed away, as you heard the Father say, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, and as the Spirit descends, there are all of these beautiful signs that this is most certainly God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, God's anointed one. And since he's in those waters of the River Jordan, he's not getting down in there to have his sins washed away. He is getting down into those waters to begin his public work to identify with sinners to save us from our sin. We sang in that closing stanza, this is our substitute. So as he identifies with us and now launches onto the scene of his public ministry, Almost, in fact, unlike any other place in all of Scripture, we see a glimpse of each person of the Trinity putting the spotlight on Jesus. Why? Because here is where he is connecting to us full front, full send. He's not holding back anymore. In fact, from this point, he's going to go into the desert. He's going to be confronted with every single temptation, even more. Devil is, the devil's going to be putting on full court, man-to-man press against Jesus. And this is where Jesus takes on everything. Not just in his death, but in his life. He is carrying our sin to prove that he will conquer it for us. And then you have this beautiful connection with him in your baptism. Just as Jesus connects himself and identifies himself with you in his baptism, so too in your baptism, God weaves you together with him and connects you to Christ. And that helps set the stage for what we see in Romans chapter six. But before we go any further with Romans six, you have to know this. Romans is arguably the most logical book in the Bible. Throughout the beginning chapters of Romans, he makes clear that we are all under judgment. Whether people recognize it or, or not, if you have two eyeballs and a brain that all work, you can look into the world and see that this is true. And since the whole world is subjugated to God's wrath with no answer in and of themselves or in the world, we need God himself. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, and all are justified freely by his grace. And he communicates that grace to us and makes it our own through the gift of faith, Romans chapter 4. And then in Romans chapter five, he makes clear that he's made us right with God and it is all grace and this gift is given to you. He's made us right in our relationship with God. So then now he's anticipating a question. In fact, he's anticipating an objection by people. It could go something like this. Since God has given us all of this grace, then my life is now the gravy train. I can kind of do whatever I want, right? Because if God's grace is this big, and I sin this big, God's grace is always gonna be this big. So then if I sin this big, God's grace is always gonna go bigger. In fact, since God's grace is always the one-upper, we can kinda do whatever we want. That could be fun. So should we? Because it's all grace, right? And how does Paul start off chapter six? So what shall we say then? Um, Shall we go on sinning? Because it doesn't matter how much we sin? Because God's grace will always be bigger? Should we, should we do that? Should we go on sinning? By no means. 
We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? In fact, think of it this way, and by the way, this is going to be a very serious, kind of knock upside the head kind of illustration, but I let you know ahead of time so that now you're ready. Let's pretend you are in a car and you are driving down some random side road, back, back road in the hills of Western North Carolina. You typically don't drive down that road, but you are. It's a scenic route. And as you're driving along, suddenly you out of nowhere, someone jumps out in front of your car and that person dies. Yeah, this is an awful illustration, but it's important. Do you think you would ever take that scenic route ever again? In fact, if someone even mentioned that scenic route, that road, that area, that region in Western North Carolina to you, do you think you could ever even hear those words without thinking about that tragedy? No. The Apostle Paul says, we died to sin. There was a tragic yet necessary death to the world. That happened. It was startling. In fact, everything that ties us to this world and condemns us for all eternity, that was the death that happened. And our sinful nature sees that as a tragedy, but that's actually a wonderful death, a necessary one. You die to sin when Jesus hung on that cross and declared that it was finished so that when he breathed his last, he exhaled out every single threat from God against you out of God's hand was every single condemnation, every single punishment that was yours now released because Jesus paid it all. You wouldn't want to go drive up and down that road anymore. So too, why would you want to go up and down the roads of sin anymore? Because in your baptism, God took you and connected you to Christ. In fact, baptism is where the search for significant connection goes to die. In baptism, the search for significant connection goes to die because God connected you to the death of Christ so that all of your sin and every threat, every ounce of guilt and condemnation is gone. Romans chapter four, verse 25 puts it this way. Jesus was delivered over to death because of our sin. Our sin caused his death. And since our sin caused his death, why would we ever wanna go back to that? Why would we wanna ever go relive that? And in fact, it's very opposite for us to think, yeah, we, God's grace is great, so then we can keep on sinning. No, 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 no. In fact, since all of that sin caused his death, he was then delivered because we are now declared right with God forever. And since that happens in our baptism, sin is now left in the dust. We would never want to go back to it. He says we are no longer slaves to sin. Raise your hand if you in any way, shape, or form would be okay even 1% okay being enslaved to anyone. Didn't think so. But you didn't have a choice when you were born into this world for being a slave to sin. And I can prove it to you. Go one hour without sinning. You wanna know the only way you could do it? You'd be like, I'm gonna go take a nap. (laughs) Except that, you know what you might have? You might have a sinful dream. Ha, gotcha. So you, you can't help it. We are slaves to sin. Those shackles exist on our heart and on our soul. And so since we have that kind of connection and we need that, that chain severed, God says, you know where you go? You go to the waters of your baptism. 
Because that is where, it's not just that Jesus identified with you and you think about his baptism, it's not where you do anything, where you make some type of uh, commitment and you span the gap between you and God. No, 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 because if we could do that, we would have accomplished that by now, but look at humanity and look at yourself. No, 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 we need all of God's grace, full sin from him, and he declares from heaven in the waters of your baptism, don't take my word for it, that you are his son. You are his daughter. Heaven may not have opened and a white dove may not have descended at the waters of your baptism, but all of God's word came to bear upon your heart. And since the Holy Spirit is God, who is to say what he can and can't do? I'm not gonna. I know you won't either. And in all of the working of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they buried you with Christ and then also raised you too. You see, baptism is not only where the search for connection goes to die. Baptism is also where the real connection comes alive. I'll say that again. Baptism is not just where the search for connection goes to die. Baptism is also where the real connection comes alive. When Jesus busted out of that tomb, that was not just for him. In fact, it, it was entirely for you. So that left in the wake of every footstep and the dust left behind when he rose from that grave is the reality of your sin and its consequences. All you know now is life. You've you been to a funeral recently? I was just at the funeral of our dear sister in Christ, Esther Jacobson, at her Hendersonville location yesterday. And talking with some of her friends and her neighbors, it was interesting having those conversations where at funerals people say the dumbest things all the time. I think I wanna work with everybody and come up with this giant 200 page novel about the dumbest things that can be said at a funeral. Do you think we could come up with 200 pages? 500, I think we could. One person said, and I quote, she's in a better place even if I don't know where. And you know, there's times when uh, I feel a little bit more confident than other times. There's sometimes where I, f I might look like I'm confident, but inside I'm, I'm convincing myself that I'm an idiot and so I don't say anything. But you know, if a pastor's standing in his own church and one of his members just went to heaven and I couldn't wait to hear Pastor Zell's sermon and man, did he hit it out of the park. I wish we recorded it. I told him, hey, you can go ahead and preach that one at my funeral if I go first. Just change the names around or don't. That's good too. But you know, I felt pretty confident to say, at Living Savior's, one of Living Savior's locations, to say, ma'am, we do know where she is. She is in heaven. And in fact, she is in the presence of Jesus right now. That's, that's so wonderful. And by the way, that's specific. There's no questions. There's no ifs, if, ands, or buts. All her sin, it doesn't touch her anymore. That's left behind. And sure, her earthly body is left, but that's left to decay and God's gonna raise that body and reunite it with the soul. You know how, and I said this to her, I said, you know how off we feel right now? Like funerals are just this weird place and you can see it on the looks of people. When people walk in, it's even more awkward than like the first time you've darkened the church's doors in like a decade and somebody does that and they're like, I feel weird yeah funerals are more than that because somebody walks in and they're like oh this is weird we're celebrating a person's life and we talk about it that way but they're dead because death is off we were never made to die when God breathed life into Adam and Eve there was never a trace of death he didn't slip that one in 
They brought that about by sin and then look at the havoc that has been wreaked. And so because death is off and we all recognize that, I got to say to that lady and Pastor Zell got to cement it in his sermon and we get to relive it every time we come face to face with our baptismal reality that we're alive. Death is a nap. We know that death is off. We were never made to experience it. And so God then takes you to the reality and the waters of your baptism so you would be so connected with Christ that his resurrection is now yours. There's no fine print that disqualifies you. There's no fine print that minimizes that in the least. When you were baptized, the search for meaningless connection that is only temporary died. In fact, the search to get away with sin that also died too. And then something new came alive. The resurrection of Christ that is yours, both now and forever. So whether the year is 2024, any year that comes after, you already have the greatest connection that you could ever possibly want. In fact, it is so close that you can say, close doesn't really cut it. It's yours. Raised with Christ, it's yours. Amen. Amen.